Dear novelists and novelistas, welcome to mile 8 and 9 of Novel Marathon, the 2023 edition. Today's update is a double issue because I have some catching up to do and there's lots to talk about, which is the perfect segue into today's topic, plotters versus pantsers. We talk about plotters and pantsers as if they are two different species. As in, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, if you remember this old chestnut of pop psychology. Perhaps this black and white distinction accurately describes some people. However, by and large, humans are far more interesting than that. In the process of writing this book, I'm learning that I'm definitely, without a doubt, compositionally bicurious, part planner, part pantser. If I try to make the perfect plan, writing feels like a chore, mechanical, and I miss the sense of discovery. On the other hand, if I'm writing without a plan, I run out of steam real quick and after a few thousand words, I'm totally lost in the woods. I was researching different tools for plotting and came across a Medium post from author Julie Cohen, where she talks about how her method of using post-it notes can be useful when you've already written thousands of words. In fact, rather than using post-it notes to invent a plot from scratch, she uses them to discover the structure of what she's already written. That's right, post-its can be as much an analytical as a generative tool. I was intrigued after reading Julie's Medium post and decided to invest in her online class. I'll put a link in the description. It took me a Saturday morning to watch the short lessons and do the exercises, and it's really changed my approach to plotting. The exercises in her class are simple and don't take much time, yet they were super effective at demonstrating the power of post-its. If you want to learn more about plotting and your writing style is a mix of planning and pantsing, I highly recommend Julie's class. And I don't get paid for saying so. I have since bought a mix of small and large post-it notes in different colors and have started mapping out my book, including making sense of what I've written so far. Personally, I'm using small blue post-its for regular story beats, stuff that happens jotted down in a single sentence or word, and small pink post-its for structural story events, inciting incident, one-quarter twist, strong middle, three-quarter turn, plot twists, etc. I arranged those post-its on letter-sized printer paper, which I taped together with scotch tape to form one long document that is multiple pages long. When I unfold it, I can see the structure of my story, the story arc that goes from left to right. On the last two pages, I use big yellow post-its for my characters and small green ones for the main locations where my book takes place. But here's the real beauty of Julie's method. You can use whatever color, whatever sizes, and whatever structure that fits your book. Taking the class has helped me see how flexible this method really is. That's what makes it fun. You can make it your own. Writing a novel is scary. This method of using post-its allows us to tackle some difficult structural challenges with little colored pieces of paper. If you make a mistake, no big deal. Just toss out the culprit and grab a new one. You have a whole stack of them. That's the magic. I'm glad I stumbled over this plotting hack. 
Maybe you'll find it useful too. And now, down to business. For the next stretch, we'll read chapters 17 and 18 in The One Year Novelist, chapters 10, 11, and 15 in Story Genius, pages 40 through 47 in This Year You Write Your Novel, and pages 24 through 26 in Refuse to Be Done. Here's your assignment. Explore using post-its to structure your writing. Lay out what you've written so far. Use one post-it per story beat. Lay it out however you like. Use a different color for key narrative turning points. Inciting incident, one quarter twist, etc. Not sure what comes next? Use post-its to imagine possibilities of what might happen. Remember, if you don't like an idea, you can just crumble it up and toss it away. Try using larger post-its for your character bios. How about using post-its to jot down all the important locations in your story? Experiment! It's fun to lay out the structure of your story across multiple pages or your bedroom wall. The next exercise is write with the ending in mind. Fast forward. How will you end your book? Will your protagonist win? Will they lose? Will there be a partial victory where they lose something but gain something else? Is there a big aha moment when the protagonist faces a final choice or final battle? And once you know what the ending might look like, what scenes do you need to get there? Most importantly, write. Shoot for 500 words five times per week. Aim for a minimum of 2,500 words per week. At this pace, you can finish your first draft in around seven months. Here's a little more context, which might help you with the homework. To quote National Book Award winner, Joyce Carol Oates, I always know what the end is and where I'm going. I'd never just sit down and start writing. That would be like getting in a car and just driving with no idea where you're going. No serious writer would write like that. Lisa Cron goes into a number of examples of books where the ending is foreshadowed in the first paragraph. Take, for example, the second paragraph of A.S.A. Harrison's thriller, The Silent Wife, which gives a perfect preview of what Jody, the protagonist, is in for. At 45, Jody still sees herself as a young woman. She does not have her eye on the future, but lives very much in the moment, keeping her focus on the everyday. She assumes, without having thought about it, that things will go on indefinitely in their imperfect yet entirely acceptable way. In other words, she's deeply unaware that her life is now peaking, that her youthful resilience, which her 20-year marriage to Todd Gilbert has been slowly eroding, is approaching a final stage of disintegration, that her notions about who she is and how she ought to conduct herself are far less stable than she supposes, given that a few short months are all it will take to make a killer out of her. You see how the ending is right there in the second paragraph of the book? It's far from a bad thing to know and let others know where you're going. If anything, it sparks curiosity in the reader and builds tension. Lisa Kron also talks about the difference between your protagonist's aha moment and the physical ending of the book. 
Usually the aha moment or the defining realization that the main character has, the one that lets them overcome their misbelief, actually occurs before the last page of the book. It is this realization that arms your protagonist with the tools to bring the story to a close. At the end of the day, we don't care so much about what happens at the end of the story. We care about what it means to the protagonist. Your job is to keep your eyes on the prize and make sure that you're not just mechanically wrapping up the story, but that you're telling it to us through the eyes of the protagonist, always reflecting on what it means to him or her. You have a few basic options for ending the book. Either the protagonist achieves their goal or they don't. If they don't, perhaps they have had an insight that makes achieving the goal less important. In other words, they're changed and they finally confront it, perhaps even overcome their misbelief. If you want to see an example of what this looks like in practice, read through the exercise in chapter 10, page 177 of Story Genius. And that's it. All the key info, the readings, and more detail on the exercises is available via a newsletter that comes out a couple times a month. It's free and you can subscribe to it by going to novelmarathon.com forward slash newsletter. Happy reading, happy writing, and I'll talk to you soon.